Galatians chapter 5. Karina read um, very nicely for us of, of Psalm 126, and it was just the, the joy of the people returning from captivity, and that's what God has done for us. He has rescued us if we are Christians, and, and the people were filled with joy, and, and so Paul is addressing the, the Galatians here, and he, he's asking, where's all your joy gone? Remember, you turned your eyes upon Jesus and how filled with joy you were. We'll read from chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you at all, no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. A little leaven works, the, a leaven, little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through the love serve one another. And we'll end our reading there. And Paul has been, been speaking to the Jews here about the law as opposed to grace. Um, and Shane's been going through this letter very well for the last few weeks. It's, it's been very encouraging hearing him. And the Galatians, as you know, they were a people who came to faith in Jesus. And then suddenly someone came in and started planting seeds of doubt and encouraging them, no, you need Jesus plus. And that's what Shane has been telling us that, that Paul is writing about here. And Shane, last week, he also mentioned Martin Luther, um, who was in many ways the one who... God used to instigate the Reformation and, and turning back to the Bible. Martin Luther was a very rough character, very, very uh, abrupt and, and almost rude, but he was a man, he was a brilliant scholar, and God used him greatly. And in the same way, St. Paul, Paul was a very, very dominant, forceful personality, but a brilliant scholar. Um, and at times, Paul was very rough, and we read it in this, in this letter in particular, Paul was a lawyer. He had studied the Jewish law. He understood it very well. And he was advancing, he says, in, in far beyond many others in, in his, of his age. Um, but he was not afraid to use strong language, and he uses it at times in this letter. But Shane ended last week with that lovely verse there, verse 1. He said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And if you're a Christian, the emphasis of this letter is, Christ came to set you free from works of law, works of, of, of good works. Um, 
And that's why at Karina read that psalm, because it's expressing the joy the Israelites felt. We're free, we're home at last. And for you, Christian, Jesus has come to set you free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And it's how wonderful um, that the Galatians felt when they first heard the gospel. They thought, this is fantastic news. We can be right with God without having to do anything but accept what Jesus has done for us. It's almost too good to be true, and yet it is true. But now they seem to have forgotten that, that wonderful feeling. Um, and so Paul is writing again, appealing to them to remind them the price you will have to pay, saying, if you go back to circumcision, that is going back to the Jewish law, you're going to have to obey the whole law and obey it perfectly. Not one mistake. That's, that's what you're, you're calling on yourself, really. When he says, if you're trying to work your way to heaven and you try to do it that way, the Jews tried to get to heaven by circumcision, by obeying the law. For you and me, I, I, I don't know if anyone here is Jewish, probably not. But in a sense, you could compare it to trying to get to God by good works alone. You're saying, I think I can get to God by good works. And, and he's warning them, and he says, not only are you trying to do good works, yes, you're trying to do that, but also you have to avoid committing any sin ever again. So you do good works plus no sin, and you think, I can manage that. And, and can you imagine that you're abandoning grace, he's saying, you're abandoning faith, you're abandoning Christ and all he's done for you. And suppose you come before God, he's saying, suppose you stand before God and you decide to say to God, well, actually, God, I think I could save myself. I think I can be good enough to get to heaven. And, and you stand before him on the day of judgment and he looks at you and he says, yeah, you think that you're good enough to get to heaven. Well, let me just ask you, um, you, uh, you weren't always very patient with your children, were you? Well, no, but, but then God, uh, my children, they, they really do wear me down at times. They're very dry. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. And you think, hmm, right, that's maybe, yeah. And then God says to you, um, well, what about your thoughts? You know, I, I know, I know every thought you've ever had. And you're sinful in your thoughts. And you say, oh, you know about that? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I hadn't thought of that, yeah. Um, but God, yeah, can't you show just, you know, a little bit of leniency, a bit of grace? And God says, but I have shown you grace. I've shown complete, perfect grace in Christ. He is all you need. I'll give you all the grace you need. Do not return to your works. And yet instinctively people think, I must do good works to please God. The only way to God is perfection. And none of us is good enough. And that is why God had to send Jesus. And, and God is saying, it is by grace. And, and it's interesting, Nick read earlier, by grace you're saved through faith, not by works. And it, it is purely by grace. Um, <clears throat> there was a, just to use another illustration, I suppose. Some of you here, if you're my age, or maybe, uh, you might have heard of a swimmer called Mark Spitz. He was an American swimmer. And I think it was in the Atlanta Olympic Games, he won nine gold medals. He was just splashing everyone else out of the pool. This guy was phenomenal. He could beat anybody. He was, yeah, imagine nine golds in, in one Olympic Games. 
But imagine that man who was by far the best swimmer in the world and his, his records lasted for, I think, between 30 and 40 years before someone else finally caught up with him with better techniques, better, better pools and the rest of it. But, but Mark Spitz was the best swimmer by a mile, so to speak. Yet if you were to drop him in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and he were to say, I think that I can make it back to the States myself. Okay, it's 1,000, 2,000 miles. I think I can do it. He would be dead within a few hours. He could not do it. He may be the best swimmer in the world, but he just would not be able to make it, would not be able to get back to land. He would drown within a few hours. And yet God is saying, Paul is saying to the Galatians, in a sense, this is what you are doing. You are trying to do the impossible. You reckon you can save yourselves. You reckon you can do it without Jesus. You think you can keep the law. Well, you keep the whole law. Because, you see, if you choose to go back to the law, you need to keep every single aspect of it. Every part, every jot, every tittle, you must keep it all. And that way God will, yeah, God will say, okay, I'll consider you. So you've been good, but you're still not perfect. And, and it's far beyond human ability to keep the law. And the Jews knew that, that they were unable to keep the law. And in a sense, that's what, what Mark Spitz would realize if he were in, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I cannot do it. No human being could swim that distance in the middle of the ocean. And it's not a case of, of the law saving me, nor is it a case of Jesus plus the law. Shane has emphasized that. It's not... Jesus plus anything, it is Jesus alone, only Jesus, all Christ or nothing. And Paul is saying, which do you choose? Because only Jesus can save you. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says we cannot save ourselves, either through the law, as the Jews were trying to do, or for you and me, by our good works. We are simply not good enough, because if you are trying to get to God by being a good person, plus committing no sin whatsoever, you just will not make it because you are not able to. It is beyond human ability. You don't need to do anything to save yourself, is what Paul is saying. You come to Jesus alone, and he gives you the free gift of eternal life. And he says, can't you see then how good it is to follow Jesus and trust him? And it's, it's not just all good. And he says, why why would you abandon the freedom that Christ offers you? Why would you do it? He says, the, the message of the gospel is too good to abandon. You, um, some of you might remember some years back, the, the Irish government, they brought in um, a savings plan. It was, it was called the SSIA, Special Savings Incentive Scheme. I, I don't know what the purpose of it was. It was to encourage people to save, to boost the economy somehow because they said the economy is overheating, people are spending too much. But they said, okay, everyone who saves, we'd say 100 euro a month or something like that for five years, we, the government, will give them their money back plus an extra 25%. So you save 4,000, you get back 5,000. And the government said, we guarantee this. We guarantee that you will get 25% on top of what you've already saved. And people thought, this is, this is very, very good return. Not only that, they said, 
but you also collect the interest that the bank would give you in any case. So you had the interest plus an extra 25% guaranteed by the government. And you thought, this is one, this is win-win. And so many people joined in on that, and it, it absolutely, it's why so many people started buying new cars and got extensions in their houses. They had saved a fortune. But it was a win-win situation. You couldn't lose. And Paul is saying, the gospel is a win-win situation for you. It is all good. He is saying it guarantees that we're saved and also that you don't need to add anything to it. Just come to Jesus just as you are. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, he's saying. The only thing that God desires of you is that you would put your faith in Christ. But even, even that is a gift from God. Faith itself is a gift from God. It, it causes us to instinctively trust in Jesus and say, I want to return and thank Jesus for what he has done. Now, some people will say, I don't have faith. If, if faith is a gift, I just don't have it. God hasn't given it to me. Well, I would say he has given it to you, but you need to exercise it. And, and what is, it's, it's a bit like some years back we had a, in the back garden, we, there was a hole in the wall and there were the birds nested in the hole. It was, a, yeah, it was a bird, it was a cold tit. There are small birds that like to burrow in, in, in the wall and the bird nested in there and it was lovely to see it. I remember we, I remember even videoing a little bit of the bird in, in there and it was fascinating seeing the birds being fed, seeing them grow and grow and the birds got bigger and plumper and their feathers developed and then one day you could see the, the mother or the father, I don't know which, out there chirping and calling the, the, the little ones to come out, the fledglings, come out. You're ready to fly. And you could, you could see the fledgling hovering or, or just, just terrified. I can't jump. I'll fall to the ground. And the mother bird saying, trust me, when you jump, you will fly. But I've never flown before, mummy. Trust me. When you jump, you will fly. But, but I've never flown. How do I know I will fly? You've got to take that leap of faith. And one by one, the birds jumped and they flew. And they jumped and they flew. And they jumped and they flew. And they put their, their ability to fly into action. They had never used it before. And in the same way, what I'm saying is, faith is a gift from God. Perhaps you feel, God has not given me this faith. He has. Just trust him. Put your life into Jesus' hands. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Take me and save me. I'm surrendering everything. I am taking the leap of faith. And that is what faith is. It is a leap. It is trusting Jesus completely. And Paul was saying to the Galatians, you did that. You trusted Jesus completely. Why are you going back to the law? Why are you going back to the Jewish rites? They are useless to you. They cannot save you. Jesus saves you. And the only way we can have faith in God is to surrender and to exercise it to him. And so faith says, come to Jesus. And you say, I don't have that faith. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. Step out in faith. Remember how good it is, Paul was saying to the Galatians, 
Remember how, how you were filled with joy, as, as Karina read, when, when the Lord returned the captives to Zion. We were like men who dreamed. It was so, so good. And Paul is saying, you're going back, back to, to, to foolishness, to, to law, to efforts of your own. It will not work. And he says, remember the faith you had. Remember the joy that faith gave you. You were free. You were in dreamland. You trusted Jesus. You turned your eyes on him. And now you've gone back. Look at you. You've lost the joy of your salvation. You've given up on faith. And you're trying to do it without Jesus. Everything was good. You trusted Christ. You acknowledged the Lord is God. You accepted that. He was the God of David, the God of Moses. You seemed to understand who God is, and you agreed to trust him and to live by faith in Christ. You saw the path, and you set out, and now he's saying, who cut in on you? Who has done this? Someone influenced you to take your eyes off Jesus. Earlier, he says, in, in chapter 3, he says, who has bewitched you? Elsewhere, he says, they want to win you over, but for no good. There are some troublemakers there, and they are turning you away from Jesus Christ. And he says, if I get my hands on them, heaven help them. But if God gets his hands on them, they are lost because they are turning people away. Some troublemaker has done this. And, and in Hebrews, it, it writes, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing. And he's, Paul is saying, don't go back these things. What the Galatians doing, why was it so bad? Why, why is Paul writing this letter? What is bothering him so much? What's the problem? Why is it so serious? Because you look at it, and it, it's a bit like, you know, when Paul wrote his letters, when Paul wrote his letters you know, to, to Ephesus, he didn't write to Ephesus and say, oh, it's, it's wonderful here in Athens, you know, the, the weather is lovely. I'm just writing a postcard to say, really nice here in, in, in this city. I wish you could be with me, blah, blah, blah. No, he had a purpose. When Paul wrote from prison, he didn't write to say, having a great time here. You know, the, the, in, the inmates are all great guys, and the food, the food is, oh, you would die for it. In fact, I think last week someone did die from it. But, you know, it, it is, it's wonderful here in prison. Paul didn't write letters like that. When he wrote, he didn't even write missionary reports. Paul wrote letters always with a purpose. He had a strong and firm purpose. So, for example, when, when he wrote the letter to Corinthians, he was challenging them for their sinful behavior. When he wrote to the Colossians, he was warning them against the heresy of people not believing that Christ is God. So he had always had a purpose. What was the purpose of his letter here? Why was he so concerned, so upset? There was no heresy. These people were not falling into the sins of the Corinthians. They had not become immoral. They had not fallen into some heresy about Christ. They were still believing that the Lord is God. They were still believing that that, that Jesus is, is the Son of God. But he is saying there, in it, he says in, in verse, um, he, he, he says in, in verse uh, 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross. He talks about the offense of the cross. And he is so concerned because, sorry, my page is there. Whoops. Um, 
He's talking about the, the offense of the cross. What does he mean by this offense of the cross? Why is the cross so offensive to men? Well, the cross, it's the universal symbol of Christianity. Now, whether you're in Ireland and you use a Celtic cross or in your Malta and you use a Maltese cross or, or whatever kind of cross, it, but it is universal. Every country that has Christianity in it, the cross is the symbol of Christianity. But Paul says the cross is actually offensive. Why is the cross offensive to men? The cross is offensive because it takes away any semblance of self-righteousness. It says, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You are foul. You are a beggar before God. You have nothing to offer to him. The cross is your only hope of salvation. And it takes away that sense of, I am good enough to get to heaven. I can do something. I, I can remember quite a few years ago, my, uh, one of my children in, in secondary school, I think it was President Mary McAleese, was, was coming to, the, to do the school to open a new part of the school or something. And the school thought, well, we, we need to give the president just a little gift, a little symbol. What will we do so that they all... All the, the students, the art students, did paintings, and as it happened, one of my children, their painting was chosen. And it was decided this was good, it was suitable to give to the president. But if instead the principal of the school had thought, the, the president is coming, yeah, she's a very important person, what will I give her? And he's, he's wandering around the school, goes into the kitchen, and he sees a dirty rag on the ground, and he says, that will do, picks it up, Oh, it's stinking. And he puts it in a plastic bag and he says, I'll give this to the president. And supposing he were to do that, it would be an insult. It would be saying to the president, this is what I think of you. And yet in Isaiah, he says, all our good deeds are like filthy rags in God's sight. You have nothing good to offer God because everything that you and I do is tainted. God says, don't give me your filthy rags. I have given you the cross. It takes off, you take it as offensive because it says that you can, you can do nothing. Well, I'm telling you, you can do nothing. It is only the cross, the cross of my son, Jesus Christ, that saves you. When we approach God, we must approach totally empty-handed like a beggar begging mercy like a pitiful sinner pleading, Jesus, you alone can save me. And it's, the cross is saying, there is no goodness whatsoever in you, nothing, but come to Jesus for righteousness. Because it says that Christ died for all our sins. There is nothing further we can offer God. If we could save ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. But the cross, the death of Jesus, gives all the glory to Christ. And that's why Paul is so concerned for the glory of Christ. Yes, for the salvation of, of the Galatians, but for the glory of Christ as well. And what of their hope of eternal life? They would have nothing to answer. 
they would say something. If, if, if they would say, if, when, when they stand before God, they would say, well, I do my best and, and hopefully God will say it. Supposing you go out there today in, into the, the town or you go into the city and you say to people, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. And what's your hope of eternal life? Well, I'll do my best anyway. You know, I always say, if you never do anyone any good, at least do them any harm. And if we all did that, wouldn't the world be a better place? Which is them saying, if everyone was like me, we'd have a wonderful world, which we all think anyway. But it's, it's saying, I do my best, and God will have to be happy with that. And it's saying the cross is not necessary. But the cross says that is utter rubbish. Christ alone saves, nothing else but Christ. And all your filthy rags, all your good deeds are worthless to God. It says you have no righteousness of your own. You can offer God nothing. You are a filthy beggar. And people will be offended if you say that to them, that you have nothing to offer God. You, God is not pleased with your good works. He is not pleased with your good life. He has given you Jesus. Accept Jesus for your sin. And the gospel alone, the cross alone, is the good news. And, and God is saying, trust my son Jesus. And it was for this, the only means of, of eternal life, that, that Paul was, was so upset. Because as I said, not only was it leading people to a lost eternity, if, if the cross is, is taken from the gospel, but it was undermining the glory of Christ. It was saying what Jesus has done was either not necessary or else it was, it was just a waste of time. It wasn't good enough. It was saying all Jesus' suffering, all his death, was insufficient. If, if it takes Jesus plus your good works, it's saying Jesus isn't good enough to save you. The gospel was at stake, and that was why Paul was so concerned in this letter. It's why he is so angry, so even yeah, just, just forceful in his expressions, because he is saying the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is at stake. And these, these people who are leading you astray are doing such a dishonor to Christ. God help them when they pass away. God help them because they will face a terrifying holy God. And that was why he wrote this letter with such passion. Of all the letters, as Shane has been saying, of all the letters Paul has written, this one he just begins with a thundering warning because he could see the good news of Jesus is at stake here. The good news of Jesus. Jesus said to anyone, you might remember, because you read through this, this letter at times, and it seems Paul is almost being foul in his language. He says, if, you, if, you, if, you, if anyone wants to circumcise themselves, let them go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And if you don't know what that means, look it up at home. But remember the words Jesus spoke when he said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a, a millstone tied around his neck 
and be thrown into the, into the lake and drowned. That's how strong Jesus felt about the gospel. It would be so, so for the Jews saying that circumcision is necessary to save, it's, it's like people in, in Christian circles saying that baptism is necessary to save. Baptism is not necessary. Baptism is a symbolic rite, as it were, of, of confessing your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you. And it's so for, for those who are baptizing, it's like Jesus saying, those who are baptizing, let them go the whole way and drown themselves. Baptism cannot save you. Christ alone, faith alone in Christ can save you. And only faith alone can save you. And that is the passion of the gospel. And it's why, folks, it's why this letter was written by Paul in the first place. It's why it was preserved through the centuries by the Holy Spirit so that we would realize the gospel of Jesus Christ is unchanging. It is essential. Don't ever let it go. The cross of Jesus Christ, offensive as it is to man, is man's only hope. Hold on to it. That is the good news, severe as it is. It is the good news because it takes away all your sense of self-righteousness and it says, trust in Jesus. He has done everything. And may the Lord bless his word to us. May he bless us as we, in a moment, remember the cross of Jesus Christ his body and blood shed for us. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll sing. Gracious God, thank you for the gospel, that Christ died for sinners, therefore Christ died for me. Lord, thank you that you opened my eyes to understand I needed Jesus. And I pray, Father, for all those here this morning who equally, like me, have put their faith in Jesus, that we would realize again what a debt we owe to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit who has preserved his word to teach us these things. And Lord God, for any who do not know you this morning, I pray that they would step out in faith and take the free gift of faith that you offer and trust in Jesus. Lord bless us. And as we continue to worship you, taking the bread and wine, reminding us of the death of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, that we would do so with a sense of burden, a sense of responsibility, but also <clears throat> a sense of joy that we are free in Christ. And all this we pray in his holy name. Amen.